This episode of Fearless Rebel Radio is brought to you by You On Fire. You On Fire is the amazing 12-week online group coaching program that I run where we build up your worth from the ground up so that it's no longer hinging on the way that you look. It's got personalized coaching from me and incredible community support plus lifetime access. Get details on what's included in this program and sign up to be notified when doors open for the next cycle by going to summerinandin.com forward slash you on fire. I would love to have you in that program and in that group. This is Fearless Rebel Radio, a podcast about body positivity, self-worth, anti-dieting, and feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 168, and I'm interviewing Lindley Ashline, photographer and creator of Body Liberation Stock and the Body Love Box. We talk about how, Im- how images and photos can be a powerful tool for healing body image, and we also discuss thin privilege and more. You can find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode at summerinandin.com forward slash 168. Before we start, I want to give a shout out to Laura A. Swim, who left this awesome review. I've been listening to Summer's podcast for about three months. Be prepared for her to bring up a lot of feelings that are deep inside. It can lead to a good cry every now and then if you're being real with yourself. As I'm turning 50 this year, I'm trying to find a way to finally stop being so darn mean to myself and to start finding the courage to say that I am enough. I feel like she's speaking right to me. And between her podcasts and her Instagram and Facebook posts, she always manages to say just what I need to hear when I need to hear it. Thank you so much, Laura. What a beautiful review. And I'm truly honored and just so glad that everything is resonating with you and helping you to make that shift within yourself. If you haven't already done so, you can leave a review for the show, and I'd really appreciate it if you do. You can go to iTunes and click ratings and reviews, click to leave a review that helps others to find this show and the information that you're learning here and contribute to the revolution to end diet culture. You can also do that by subscribing to the show via whatever platform you use, whether that's Stitcher, Spotify, or iTunes, or whatever the Apple Podcast app is called. Maybe it's just called Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already done so, definitely get the free 10-day body confidence makeover at summerinandin.com forward slash freebies with 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body. If you can't spell my name, just go to thebodyimagecoach.com and that will get you everything that I talk about on this show. Today's guest is Lindley Ashline, and Lindley creates artwork that celebrates the unique beauty of bodies that fall outside conventional beauty standards. Lindley is also the creator of Body Liberation Stock and the Body Love Box, a monthly body acceptance subscription box. She lives outside Seattle with her husband and feline overlord. I was really excited to have Lindley on the show because she is just so skilled at photography and knows how to use photos as a tool for healing. I think so many of us struggle with pictures. You know, we see a photo of ourselves and we feel shame. So then we avoid photos or we hide in them or we pose ourselves in them. Uh, And I think that instead of seeing them as something to avoid and something that brings about shame, we can really shift that and see imagery and photos as a tool for healing and a powerful tool for healing. And I really use this a lot in my practice. I use this when I'm coaching clients because it can really help to bring us to a place of neutrality with our own bodies and expose us to uh, diversity um, by looking at images of other bodies as well and then normalizing our own image as a way to heal ourselves. So those are all the things that we're going to talk about here, which I'm super excited about. So enjoy this episode. Welcome to the show, Lindley. Hello. Thanks so much for taking the time to be here today. I know we're both kind of doing this from lockdown. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I'm glad that I finally got you on the show because we've been trying to schedule this for a while and we had to bump it back a few times just because of the quarantine and other stuff, personal stuff that was happening, but we're finally here today. So why don't you start off by telling everyone a little bit about your story and how you got into the work that you do with your 
um, photography and the body love box and everything like that. Yeah. So my name is Lindley Ashline and I'm a photographer and writer outside Seattle, Washington in the U.S. And I have sort of been building on, on these business layers over time. And so now I do run my own business full time and, and it sort of has all these, these layers that change and shift as, as the needs of my community change. So at heart, I'm a photographer and how I got into that is I have been doing nature photography for, gosh, I don't know, 15 years, 20 years since I was a kid, really. And I love nature photography. It's very soothing and fulfilling for me, but it's not something that I ever intended to, to try to make a living on. But in 2014, 2015, I was in a really terrible, terrible office job. And it was it was dysfunctional and infuriating and frustrating and I had to sort of step back and say, this was supposed to be the dream. This was the sort of the sort of career, office career that I wanted, this corporate career. And I had, had just had this series of jobs that were worse and worse. And I had to go, this isn't what I want. This isn't, this isn't where I belong. The more I try to lean into this, the more unhappy I get. <laughs> and, and where do I, where do I go from here? And that background, um, even though I wasn't grateful for it at the time and didn't appreciate it at the time, over this corporate career, I had gained a marketing background and a writing background and an editing background. And uh, and I think we're going to talk about this in a few minutes too, but a, a background where I was choosing stock photos and working with photos and outside of just my own hobby photography. And so it ended up providing this foundation for me to build a business with. So I was in this terrible job and in between, you know, like fits of crying and cussing about it, I really sat down and said, where do I want to go? What, who do I want to serve? Because when, at least for me, when I thought about building my own business and, you know, taking a step out of the corporate life and, you know, and sort of venturing out on my own, I have anxiety and that was really scary. I had to have like the appropriate impetus or the appropriate inspiration or, or call to like be able to take that step. And so I knew that I wanted to work in photography, but I had to figure out what do I want to do with it? I looked around at other nature photographers and they mostly weren't making a living, even if they were doing it full time. So I said, okay, I need to, I need to go into portraiture. And so I started looking into portrait photography as a career option. And I immediately saw that nobody looked like me. Nobody. <laughs> um, and none of the photographers looked like me at the time. None of the photographers looked like me. None of their subjects looked like me. None of the training out there worked with people who looked like me. Um, nobody was teaching how to photograph people who looked like me. And it was very isolating. Um, but also... Uh, it made it very clear that this other background that I had been developing as part of the fat acceptance community and then the body positive community, when that came along, that these two should really be dovetailing, that these two should be should be meshing because people who look like me weren't being served from a photographic standpoint and people who looked like me weren't being the photographers. <laughs> and And over time, just in the last five years, this has changed. Which is wonderful. I have so much I have so much competition these days, and it's amazing. I love it. There, are, I see fat photographers now. I see fat, you know, fat people being photographed and looking amazing. And you know, I will take that. If I ever get competed right out of business, that will make me really happy because it means that that there are so many people who are prioritizing fat folks in their business that I wouldn't be needed. I can't see a day when I can't see a day when I will never be needed to do this work. But 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 I love competition. Bring it on. But at any rate, I decided that I wanted to focus on people who identify as fat or plus size or larger bodied as my target market. Um, partly because again, I already had this background in fat acceptance. I already had this background in you know in studying and prioritizing and talking about large bodies, and so it, it was just this natural fit. So I started learning to not only to do portraiture and to do boudoir photography and to do fine art photography, but also to do it specifically with larger bodies. And which meant that to a certain extent, portraiture is portraiture. Boudoir is boudoir. Like the photographic principles apply, the aesthetics apply to anybody. But fat bodies move differently. Fat bodies fold up differently. You know, fat bodies interact with themselves differently. And so... So some of it was some of it was about learning to work with 
larger bodies and with people who aren't as used to being in front of a camera, being the center of the focus. And so what I do is it's just as much coaching as it is photography. In general, we spend, I don't know, we spend probably a third to a half of a session getting people comfortable in front of the camera, getting, you know, making sure that, that because if you come in and you're terrified and I don't ease that, <laughs> you can tell in the photos. And so, so it's to both of, you know, both of our advantage, me and whoever I'm photographing, if we spend some time just getting comfortable. But, but doing that work has been the center of, from a business standpoint, has been the center of what I'm doing. But what has happened over time, so I started doing that in 2015. And what has happened over time is that I've added these layers as I see more needs in the community. So I started out doing just client photography, and then I added stock photography. Then I added a subscription box, and then I added a shop on top of that. <laughs> and so <laughs> Just keep diversifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's been, you know, like I said to start with, it's been sort of all these layers. And it's, from a personal standpoint, it's really cool because I have a short attention span. <laughs> So there you go. I get tired of, you know, I spent all day yesterday working on stock photos and now I'm really tired of that. So I'm going to, you know, today, today after our, after our recording here, I'll probably go work on, on an article or on some marketing or on the shop. And it's cool because it gives me all these ways to serve the plus size or body positive community uh, while also giving me an outlet for all these different things I like to have my fingers in. Yeah. So you, and you mentioned your background and there's so many things that I'll kind of ask you as it relates to what you just said, but you mentioned your background in fat acceptance. And I'm curious to know how you got into that. What was your journey into that? Like, was that something that kind of blew your mind or was that something that you always, uh, you know, did you always like feel, what was the relationship like with your body before you discovered fat acceptance, I guess is what I'm trying to get to. Well, I found fat acceptance in about 2007 and I totally stumbled into it. I found um, back in the days when everybody was using LiveJournal, if anybody remembers that, um, <laughs> I stumbled, I stumbled in this, into this community called Fashionista. It's uh, Fashionista, but with fat as the FAT is the the start of it. And and it was it was it did blew my mind. It was such a revelation because here were a thousand different fat women who were just living their lives and doing it in a really fashionable way and and you know they were being trendy and be, like wearing mini skirts and this was when bodycon dresses were a really big deal and they were like wearing these these bodycon dresses that were super tight and elasticy and and like just being trendy and fashionable. And it had literally never occurred to me that you could be in a plus size body and even in a very fat body and be, and be cool, honestly, <laughs> you know, and be like, be what we, what we would now think of as like um, plus size fashion influencers. That's kind of where this community it's like the feel of it um, is, is what would now be like an Instagram influencer, like all these folks who were doing that, like in the early days. And, you know, I am not a particularly a person who is particularly interested in fashion um, or in honestly in clothing. Now that I'm not working in an office, I mostly live in uh, old Navy yoga pants and like hoodie t-shirts um, because I, I'm pretty much about comfort. And, you know, if it's, if it's also cute, that's great. But just, seeing that this was something that I too could explore because there were people there with bodies like mine that, that were just doing this thing. And at the time I was working at an office too. So I had some investment in, you know, being, um, in participating in, in fashion just as far as being visible in public went. And I started to experiment with that too, because seeing other people do it made me think that maybe I could do that too. So I started doing outfit of the day posts and in doing that, it forced me to look at myself. And, and I, think, I think we might come back to that later, too, when we talk about photos and healing. But, but just being forced to see my own body was, was kind of this revelation. Because when you don't feel good about your body, you don't really have an incentive to look at it. And particularly for, particularly for those of us who are in fat bodies... Um, a lot of us tend to be, oh, we're the one behind the camera or we're at the back of the photo. You know, it's, it's really easy for us to hide and to not ever have to see ourselves as adults. Like maybe maybe wedding photos or maybe graduation photos or, or some kind of big life change like that or, you know, with our kids. But beyond that, we just don't have an incentive to see ourselves, especially not on an everyday basis, as opposed to, have, you know, 
like a wedding photo where your hair and makeup is done and everything is very done up. So that was kind of the beginning of my journey. And I, I always have to say when I talk about this background that I grew up without a TV and I grew up without a lot of pop culture access. And so, yeah, it's just a long story. We lived in a rural area and, and my parents didn't, didn't feel like having access to, to, you know, to cable TV was particularly important. So, so I didn't have a lot of the pop culture and diet culture influences that a lot of people do at a formative age. And now, of course, I absorbed diet culture messages. Of course I did. Everybody does. You know, I absorbed it from, from all the places that people usually do, family and, and, and school and friends. I just didn't, I wasn't reading magazines. I wasn't watching TV. And so some of the really, the really major influences I just missed until I was an adult. And so, so what that has meant is that my personal journey to accepting my own body has been relatively easy. And I always pull this out because it's really easy for someone who is listening to this to look at me and think that, oh, well, all it took was a live journal community. <laughs> you know, why, why am I not like that? Why is it so hard for me? Why is it... <laughs> You know, why can't I, why can't I be like Lindley? And I, you know, I want to I so I always want to note when I talk about my own body image background that I was astonishingly privileged in the sense that I didn't have as many fish hooks to pull out. Yeah, but and that, that what's so interesting about that, sorry, I didn't mean to No, go ahead. dive in there, but what's so interesting about that is it just shows how how it is like it is learned and conditioned and like how exposure to that stuff is, is so, to, I mean, it, it's kind of like, obviously it's so toxic, but it's, it's really interesting to see how that plays out in someone and the, the massive difference that that can make. Yeah. Because, and well, and, and the thing too, is that I was an average sized child. I did not become a fat person until I hit puberty. And then my German peasant hormones, <laughs> my German peasant genes kicked in. And suddenly I looked like, I looked like every other woman in my family. You know, we're all fat white, we're all fat white women. And, you know, and suddenly I had the hips and, and, you know, and the breasts and so on. Um, and so I didn't start to get societal disapproval about my body until puberty. And so my experience is very different than someone who was a fat child. And again, I just, I always want to pull out these things because I didn't, like, I wasn't being put on diets when I was six years old. I wasn't, you know, like, people pretty much left me alone about my body until I was 14 or 15. And so, so I wasn't, like, every, every person who is, who is read as a woman in our society gets diet culture pressure. Like, we all, we all are taught to be ashamed of our bodies, everybody, no matter what size. But my, my experience was very different than someone who was being put on Weight Watchers at age five. <laughs> and so I, I just always want to pull that out. Because for me, it was, you know, it was pretty easy. And that doesn't mean that I don't have bad body days. It doesn't mean that sometimes I don't look in the mirror and go, why are you like this? <laughs> you know, everybody gets that. And it doesn't matter how far you are. It doesn't matter what kind of miracle of body positivity you are. Mm -hmm. You're still going to, you're still going to continue to receive those messages from messages from society. Right. You're unless, not, unless you go and live without any kind of cultural influence, right? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Which and is even, impossible. And even if you did like become a hermit on a mountaintop somewhere, <laughs> um, you would still have, well, you, you still have like pilgrims coming to seek you out for your wisdom and being like, oh, did you wash your hair today? <laughs> or, <whatever. laughs> right. you know? or, or, oh, I thought you'd be thinner. You're on a mountaintop. <laughs> you know? Like, like, and even so, we all absorb so many messages that even if we did suddenly were magically free of cultural body messaging, we would still have the, those voices inside of us that repeat what we've learned, you know? And so, so I don't want to be depressing, like you're never going to be free, but you know, even, even the folks who are pretty far along in this journey, you know, we still have bad body days. We still have, you know, we're still getting that messaging. So don't ever feel like you, because you hate your body some days or you, uh, you know, don't, don't feel like you are uniquely terrible because, because your life and your inner thoughts don't match the shiny Instagram influencer, you know, my body's great all the time messaging that we can, we can see in the body positive community. Right. And that's, I mean, that's toxic positivity in a way, because, you know, we're, we're human and, and we're going to have bad days and, 
I always sort of explain it like we're ultimately looking for balance where, you know, we're not looking for a hundred percent positivity. We're looking for a balance of like, okay, days where I don't feel good days where I feel like kind of neutral or meh and days where, yeah, maybe I'm like feeling myself a bit. And, and that's, that's like a great, like if we can get to a place like that, that's, and then be able to sort of see that, you know, our bad thoughts aren't our fault. They're learned and see that it's, you know, all because of this cultural conditioning, like that's ultimately, you know, where I would like people to be in the work that I do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, it's really interesting to, you know, hear your story because it it is so unique. And I think we all have different layers of trauma that have occurred that shape the way that we feel about our bodies and our experiences and things like that. And, um, and to hear, yeah, yours and, and it just being unique in that way that, you know, we weren't put on a diet when you were a kid and you didn't have those influences of culture. It's just, it's, it stands out to me at least. Like, I don't think I've had anyone on the show that had an experience quite as unique as yours. So that's really, it's interesting to hear. Well, and sometimes I feel like it almost gives me an advantage too, in that, when I come across, um, because I didn't grow up with TV and and because I didn't grow up with, uh, like I said, m- magazines or a lot of these pop culture access points, um, it means that when I dive into those things as an adult, it, I'm, not, I'm not used to having the background noise of fat phobia um, and of diet culture. And so when I come across those things, those are really jarring. <laughs> and, you know, um, I, love, I love that 70s show. I love it. (laughs) I've been rewatching it. And I just came across an episode where um, I don't want to describe this in detail because it's so fat phobic. But there there is a there's a dream sequence or like a daydream sequence where a character has become a caricature level fat and they are um, and all their friends are standing around making fun of them because they are they have become so fat and they and, you know, and they are one of the um, one of the other characters is being squished underneath them. And the fat person doesn't even notice because they're so fat. And, and, and you know, it's, it's very extreme and it's very but it, it's a three minute sequence. It's played for laughs and then everybody moves along. And it's clearly not supposed to be unusually. It's not it's not supposed to be unusually extreme for that show or or for, you know, you're not you're supposed to laugh. And then, and then, and not think anything about it and move on. But it was such a, it's so jarring. It's so jarring to, you know, and that's not even talking about, and I don't want to pick on that 70s show specifically. It's just a show I really like. So, so I'm, I'm more familiar with it, but, but there's always this undercurrent of, oh, well, as long as you don't get fat, you know, like that kind of, those, those comments. But then even these, even like this scene with this, you know, caricature level, extreme fat person that is not realistically designed. That is the, I don't know, it's just so jarring to come across these things. Or, or there's, there's a video game I really love to play where um, they have designed, they have created an, a character and inserted it that is a realistically designed fat person who looks kind of like me and some people I know. And, and when, um, when the character that you are playing in this video game um, meets this, this realistically designed fat woman character, your character is so shocked that your jaw falls open and you take a step back <laughs> because that is, and, and, and that is portrayed as a totally normal response to meeting a real life fat person, you know? And so, so, and these are things that I think I have an advantage in noticing because I wasn't conditioned to them. Right. So, so when I, when I come across them, they're very jarring yes. and then I rant about, and then I rant about them on Instagram. <laughs> Right, right. And I think I think uh, the more that you immerse yourself in, you know, diversity and and fat positivity and the literature and just the, you know, the community and all of that stuff, the the more that those things do seem jarring as well, just because you're not exposing yourself to them as much as they were always just sort of there and part of the background noise of of our existence in this culture. Yeah, that's... um, it's, it's, it's really, it is, it is, I mean, jarring, I feel like is the proper word to use. Yeah, because it's just, it, you know, these are things that are, you know, they're not supposed to be big moments. They're not supposed to be, they're not supposed to stand out. They're just, 
part of, they're supposed to be part of the background noise. Um, but when you're not used to the background noise, <laughs> they're really easy to tell. It's really yeah. easy to see. Yeah. So I want to talk about um, like the healing process and photos for you in particular, because you did mention how that was um, a big thing for you. And, and you mentioned like, you know, to use your words, like being forced to see your body. So, you know, how do you see photos or even in like the, the photography that you do with your clients? Like, how do you see that helping in the healing process? I feel like whether you are looking at images of yourself or of other people whose bodies are like yours, it's really a vital part of healing because, you know, I've done all this talking about what's normalized and, and background noise and being conditioned. And when we have spent our entire lives looking at idealized people, um, whether those are you know, these the sitcom characters in the 70s show who are all very thin or photoshopped models in magazines or we are surrounded by people who who meet very, very, very narrow beauty standards. And those people are the only people we're allowed to see in the media. Now, of course, all around us, you know, like my grandmother was very, very fat. You know, I was around her all the time. Like I was being exposed to fat. Every woman in my family looks like me. I was being exposed to fat people. When you look around you in real life, you probably have fat people around you or people with uh, various disabilities, whether those are visible or not. People who, uh, you know, people who have various health conditions, people who people who don't have good hair. Um, you know, you probably have these people all around you in real life, but it's really easy to feel like because we have so much media exposure in our modern lives, um, it's really easy to feel like you are the only one who... I'm going to use this term very advisedly. And when I say this, it is compared to literally impossible standards because everybody is photoshopped. You're the only ugly one. You're the only one who has bad hair. You're the only one who, you're the only one who has, I don't know, visible veins in their legs or crow's feet or all the things that, all the things that we consider flaws or imperfections. It's really easy to feel like you're the only one who has those. And the more you look at people who are not photoshopped, people who whose bodies look like yours, the more you condition yourself the other way. And it feels, it's really interesting because we don't, we don't tend to think about being conditioned in the first place. But when I talk about, when I talk about deliberately exposing yourself to a lot of bodies that look like yours, um, occasionally I'll get some pushback. You're trying to brainwash people. Well, I mean, yeah, kind of. <laughs> Well, because we're, we've been brainwashed or unbrainwashing right. people. Right, right. I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to encourage you to undo some of that damage. But, but it feels, it feels, I think it feels very um, calculating when we talk about deliberately doing it the other way. Yes. But the thing is that, the thing is that it's a very calculated decision on the part of people producing media sources in the first place. You know, that there's profit motive behind all of this, because the more I watch that 70s show and the more I see these extremely thin people making cutting remarks about, oh, well, you know, just don't get old and fat or, you know, or these these daydream sequences with these extremely fat bodies. Um, the more that we're exposed to that, the more we're afraid of being the one who's old and fat or who's whatever disabled in some way. And, and, you know, and the more, the more we're likely to invest our time and resources and money into avoiding that. And so, so all of this is calculated in the first place. It's not just all of all these things happen to have formed this framework. This framework was formed deliberately. Uh, and, you know, not only is that framework fat phobic, it's also racist. Um, I highly encourage anybody who's interested in learning more about this to check out the book Fearing the Black Body by Sabrina Strings. It's a, it's a fairly academic work. I'm still working my way through it myself because there's a lot to take in. But these this framework was developed over hundreds of years. You know, beauty standards are not just some modern invention. And the profit motive and the power motive in beauty standards are not, it didn't just like arise in the 60s or something. This is a creation of, of hundreds of years of, of cultural manipulation. And so when I talk about deliberately exposing yourself to bodies that are like yours, this is very revolutionary. It's very radical. And it is a deliberate decision you have to make because the whole cultural tide is going one way. And so you have to deliberately seek out those bodies. But 
seeking out those bodies that look like you or that are at least different from what you're seeing in mainstream media, it's really vital because, again, you know, we have been conditioned that there's only one kind of body that's okay, that's good. (laughs) And that kind of body is impossible for 99.9% of us to achieve, partly because, again, with Photoshop, you were literally not seeing real bodies. Um, I've done a couple of these, these really long, like, blog deconstructions of, of you know, here, here's this photo and here's how you can tell it's, it's completely fake. Like, it's sort of based on a true story, based on a true human. <laughs> but, but, but learning to see yourself uh, and learning to see, you know, learning to see other bodies like yours is so vital because if you can't even stand to look at yourself, how can, how can you be okay with what you can't even see? And so, and so from a, from a photographic standpoint as a craft, a lot of the people that I work with are using that photography, those photos as healing tools. Some people, and now some people are like, I'm great. I'm ready. Let's do this. (laughs) And then some people come in and, you know, we had to approach it a lot more carefully, but but what people do with those photos afterward is so interesting because I don't always, you know, people don't always come back and tell me like what they're doing with the photos. But I've, I've learned that what some people end up doing with them is they kind of do exposure therapy for themselves. So they'll take, they'll take the photos and they'll look at them for like a minute and then they'll put them away and then they'll come back the next day and they'll look for two minutes. And it's just, they're not even, they're just flipping through the photos. That's all they're doing. And gradually they're learning, this is what this body that I inhabit at this point in time looks like. And that can be really scary because usually it's very different from what we see, even, you know, on Instagram or in, you know, in, where, where we think about the bodies maybe being more real. Um, you know, it's still very, and, and the thing is that, too, when you're working with a professional photographer, you're still going to get the quality of photograph that you might see in a magazine or, 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 you know, like a really nice account on Instagram, but your body is, the shape of it is going to be different. The, the contours are different and, and it might not be, <laughs> it might not be um, a posing that is minimizing your body because posing is a very, very powerful tool for good or evil. And for me personally, I don't minimize people via posing and that can be a real shock. Because when you are used to also looking at people whose bodies are being minimized via posing, and probably Photoshop too, just to see like a full length photo of yourself where you're not being minimized, that can be really scary. And it's just exposure. It's just exposure. The more you see bodies that look like yours, the more you see your own body, the more it can feel okay to be okay with that. Yes. And I think there's also a difference uh, between like seeing yourself in a mirror and seeing yourself in a photo. Like people really struggle with the photo. Sometimes people can be a little more neutral with the mirror and there's just something about the photo that changes things. It just, it, it like draws on kind of like the external narrative of our culture. Yeah. I think there's sort of two components to it very quickly. It's, um, it's the loss of control. Because when you are, when somebody comes to me for photos, they have to be willing to release that control. Ultimately, I'm behind the camera. And so they have to be willing to trust me to portray them. And, you know, I mean, generally by the time someone, you know, comes to me and we we have scheduled an appointment and we have set up their session, they have looked at my website, they've looked through my portfolio, they understand, you know, this is, this is my viewpoint. This is how I see bodies and your, your photos, your body will look like your body, but the quality will be similar. The feel will be similar, but that's still like, sometimes people will come in and then they, they think they're fine and then they get in and we have to sit down and chill out for a little bit because suddenly releasing that control is really scary. So there's the, there's the releasing control of how you appear to somebody else. Even if it's somebody you trust, that's very vulnerable. Um, but then also, then there's also the, the factor is that a photo is one second captured in time. Yes. You know, it's, 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 it's not moving. It's not breathing. It's not living. Unlike looking at yourself in a mirror. Like if you're looking at yourself in a mirror, you can kind of make little adjustments, <laughs> you know, to, to what you're seeing and you're seeing it in real time. Whereas a photo, it's just, it's just this, it's a literal snapshot of one second in time. Yeah. Yeah. And that, but, and that's why I think it's so important to like 
to use that exposure to really become, you know, more, more comfortable with seeing yourself at different angles and, you know, different positions and things like that. You mentioned, you've mentioned a couple times that you, you know, you kind of coach people to get comfortable in, in front of the camera. Do you have any tips or things that you can offer if people are afraid of being visible or afraid to even kind of, you know, show up in photos? You know, I think, I think it really comes back to that exposure and it comes, comes down to seeing lots of images of yourself. Um, because if you have, say, say we're looking through photo proofs, if I give you one proof, that's like one snapshot in time. <laughs> and, you know, if we're looking at a hundred proofs, of course, I'm not going to give clients anything that, that's, you know, that's terrible in quality or I don't know, maybe I caught them talking or something and they have a weird expression. Like I'm not going to give anybody that, but, but it's easier. I think it's easier when you're looking through a bunch of photos of yourself, as opposed to like maybe one, one wedding photo or something. I think it's easier to, to see these are all the different ways my body might appear and that's okay. And here's the one I'm most comfortable with right now. And maybe later I can come back to others. Um, but knowing that you're going to see yourself from lots of different angles, um, I think is, is a little bit reassuring. And finding somebody that you trust to release that control to, you know, and because when you're, when you're thinking about doing that, and of course you can always, you can have a partner you trust or a friend you trust take photos, um, you know, and, and make a fun, make a fun couple hours out of it. Um, you don't have to go to a stranger. Um, you know, as a professional photographer, I'd like to encourage you to come to me, but, but, but start, but starting with somebody that you trust to, to also be okay with your body, um, can be very reassuring because if you're having, say your partner take photos, the, the quality might not be awesome, but maybe that's not what you need right that moment. Maybe you need, maybe you need an external eye that is one you trust. And that's the most important thing at that time. And that's fine. Um, you know, you can even, you can set the timer on your camera and you can do selfies, you know, just as long as you're seeing yourself, that's what's important. But if you are looking for a professional photographer, if you're ready for that experience, ask them a zillion questions, <laughs> you know, ask them, ask them some of the things that Summer is asking me, ask, you know, how do you work with fat bodies? How is it different from how you work with thin bodies? Is it different? Um, you know, what's your own, you know, background? Are there any fat bodies in their portfolio? You know, ask them as many questions as you need to be comfortable. And remember, too, that when you're talking about being okay with photos of yourself and being okay with releasing that control to somebody else to take those photos, remember that you are ultimately in charge of your experience. If you, you know, if you're taking, obviously, it's, it's easier if you're, if you're taking selfies to stop, you know, than if someone else is taking photos of you, especially photos that you have paid for. Um, it's easy to feel like you're kind of the subordinate because you're feeling more vulnerable, but you're ultimately in charge of your experience. You can stop and say, I need a minute. You can stop and say, I need to know, I need to be more supported. You can stop and say, I need it. I'm going to, I'm going to go in the bathroom for five minutes because I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> You know, I have, I have had, I have done boudoir sessions where I ended up stripping down to my underwear because the person that I was photographing, clearly the vulnerability of them being in their underwear or nude um, or in lingerie or whatever, um, the power balance was clearly too much um, or the power imbalance was too much. And me being willing to be vulnerable in that moment made it, you know, and get down to my own underwear, which happened to be like a really ratty bralette and panties that day because I wasn't expect I wasn't expecting to get down to my underwear. Um, but that was fine because it helped even at that power imbalance. So so remembering that it's your body that's being centered and you are ultimately in charge of how that how you are portrayed and how because when you are it's your body image journey. It's your body. You get to decide how you want to engage with that, that being your own body, literally, and, and when you want to engage with that and what you need to be able to engage with that. Because if I come in and I'm super intimidating and I'm, you know, fully dressed and, and I'm maybe dismissive or maybe I'm, 
I don't know, maybe I, you can tell that I'm not crazy about working with fat bodies or whatever. Like if I am not properly supporting you, then it is really, it's that much harder for you to engage with the work that you're trying to do. <laughs> and, and so, so when you're releasing that control, um, it's totally okay for you to insist on being properly supported so that you can do what you're there to do. And now you don't have to approach seeing bodies as an important work that I am required to do. <laughs> you know, it doesn't have to be that formal. It doesn't have to be that serious. It could just be, it's a rainy day. I'm hanging out with a friend and we've both got cute underwear on and we're going to take photos of each other. You know, it, you can engage with that however you want. It doesn't have to be like capital letters, the work. Yes. <laughs> but but and, and working with a professional photographer, you know, it, it can feel like capital letters, the work. But, but just any way that you can see your body, any way that you can see bodies like yours. And Instagram is a really good way to do that. And there are lists online of body positive Instagram accounts to follow. But just the more, the more that you can see those bodies, the more healing it is. And beyond that, you get to pick how you want to do that and when and why and where. And, you know, I cannot overemphasize that if you are working with a professional photographer, you're still in charge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're paying them. <laughs> right. <laughs> Got to remember that, right? <laughs> but it's hard. I think people, you know, I don't know. A lot of us are people pleasers and give up the control. So it's good to know that and rem be reminded of that. I would love to talk to you about your series on thin privilege and what prompted you to create that? So the series on thin privilege, honestly, I got mad one too many times. <laughs> um, I have found in my own body acceptance journey that anger is playing a really important role. And I, I am a U.S. Southerner um, by heritage. And in general, we are not, you know, we women are not encouraged in the culture at large and particularly in Southern culture to be angry. Um, we're supposed to be sweet and gentle and accommodating and maybe we can be catty, <laughs> but we're not ever supposed to be angry. And accessing my own anger was, for me, a really important step in body image because allowing myself to be angry about the way that I and my body have been treated, allowing myself to be angry about the way that people are manipulated to feel bad about their body is one way that I have really reclaimed a lot of my power. When I allowed myself to start being angry publicly, that was a big step. And it gets me a lot of trolls. And that's okay because what I'm doing is is more important than having to wade through some trolls every morning. But, but one of the things that I got angry about and have been angry about for a long time is the differences in the way fat bodies and thin bodies are treated. And I want to be very clear that I'm not mad at people in thin bodies. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not mad at you. I'm, I'm mad. I'm angry at the system that encourages uh, differences in treatment depending on your body size. I'm angry. I'm angry that fat people get denied health care. I'm angry that <laughs> I'm angry that I get trolls when I talk about living in a fat body. I'm, you know, there are a lot of things I'm angry about and I'm not ever angry individuals unless those individuals are invested in perpetuating this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. But you, I mean, you shouldn't have to give that caveat, but yes, I hear you. <laughs> I shouldn't have to, but I, I do get accused a lot on, on social media of hating thin people and <laughs> that's not true at all. No, but, you're, you're simply stating what is people have a blind spot to because of their privilege. Well, and that's, that's the key is that I got angry about this stuff and I started ranting about some of it. And then because I have been in a fat body since puberty, I didn't know that people who have more body privileges don't know. Like, I didn't know what they didn't know. I didn't know that they don't know how I get treated. Like, you know, people, people who are in smaller bodies, particularly people who have always been in smaller bodies, you don't know. And so... So I have been doing for, I don't know, a year, year and a half now, um, a series on Instagram where I talk about thin privilege. And it's partly a way to, it's partly a solidarity moment for other people in fat bodies so that they don't feel as alone, so that they don't feel like 
I'm the only one, you know, like they are the only one who has experienced not being allowed to access healthcare because of their body size or whatever I happen to be talking about that day. Um, and partly because a lot of the people who follow me on Instagram are people in smaller bodies who were there because they don't know and they want to learn Yeah, because you can't help fix a problem if you don't know it exists. Totally. And, and it helps too because weight stigma as a concept, I mean, I do have people regularly who tell me that there is no stigma against fat people, but I don't think that, that anyone who is reasonable in this culture really genuinely thinks that there's not a stigma against bigger people. Right, right, <laughs> um, right. I don't, I, don't, I don't think that's really in question. Um, and, but the thing is that how does that express itself and what can I do about it? Those are the things that people don't know. And so I've started, I have a dual series um, twice a week. Uh, on Instagram, one day I regularly talk about thin privilege. Like, what does that mean in the real world? What does that, how does that look? What is it, what are real world examples of that? Um, and again, when I talk about thin privilege, I'm not saying that you're bad because you have it. And it's also a spectrum. Um, I have privilege over people who are larger than I am. Uh, forgive me, I didn't look up the, the Canadian equivalent sizes, but I wear um, a U.S. size 26, 28. I think it's the and, same. And, I think we use... Okay. We use, because all your clothes, all of our clothes are basically U.S. brands. <laughs> for better or for worse. Yeah. So, Anyways, yeah. So, so, like, so like Elaine Bryant, 2628, basically. And again, I apologize for folks here in countries where that doesn't equate. Um, you can look me up on Instagram and you can see how fat I am. But, but, but there, but I have, you know, there are plenty of, plenty of people who are larger than I am. And I can find clothes that they can't. I can access healthcare that they can't. And so it's a spectrum. Um, so, so it's not either you're thin and you have all the privilege or you're fat and you have none of it. That's, that's not how it works. It's, it's, you know, it's just a range. And, and again, depending on, uh, depending on the other personal traits that you may or may not possess, um, I'm also, I'm white. And so I am also, I have, you know, some privilege over folks who are my same size, but who are people of color. Um, so it's very, it's complex, it, you know, it's intricate and it just depends. It also depends on where you live and how you how you carry your weight. Um, I tend to appear smaller than I am. So I am occasionally treated better than someone who's my same size, but maybe is an apple shape or, or is the same weight, but is bigger physically. At any rate, one day a week, I talk about STEM privilege, what that looks like in the real world. And then another day I talk about how people, anybody, you don't have to be an expert, you don't have to be an activist, you don't have to be, you know, anybody around the world can help end weight stigma, like actual practical things you can do. Because when I got rolling with the Thin Privilege series, people were really interested, but then they also wanted to know, but what am I supposed to do about this? Like, now I know that this exists, now I feel bad about it, but what am I supposed to do about it? And the answer, of course, is that changing systems is hard. It's hard. And there's only so much we can do as individuals. Like, I'm not, I'm just, a, I'm just a random person on the internet. Like, I can't, I'm not a healthcare provider. I don't, like, I'm not in charge of eating disorder treatment where I could maybe influence how fat people get treated in eating disorder treatment. Like, I'm not, I'm just a random person. I'm a random photographer on the internet. <laughs> so, so there's only so much I can do. But within that sphere of what I am doing, there's a ton of things I can do. And you don't have to be a photographer or even a person who likes to be on the internet to make a difference. And so, so it's sort of this dual set of, you know, series of posts where one day we talk about the crappy things and then another day of the week, we talk about what you can do about it. Yeah, that's great. I appreciate that. It's good. That's why I wanted to, I wanted to make sure that we kind of covered it in here because I hope that people head over and check it out and, and learn more. Cause I think it's really, really important. Yeah, it's been really interesting, the responses that I have gotten from it, because it really, it, honestly, it just really started out because I was mad, and I needed to say so publicly. And, and it took, you know, it took a few months, too, because one of the things that when people start speaking out, it's really scary, because what if I do it wrong? <laughs> and, you know, and it took me a few months to kind of get into a pattern that was useful, both for me and for my readers, as opposed to just me ranting on the internet, um, <laughs> in a way that wasn't as as well formatted or as useful. And, you know, but I just had to start speaking because I was mad and I was frustrated and I wanted to, I just needed to get it out. And then it, gradually it evolved into this series is actually useful for people. 
And so one of the things that I do tell people about, you know, speaking out is that you just got to start doing it. And yeah, you're going to be awkward. And yeah, you know, you're probably going to say things that six months later, you'll look back and go, oh my God, why did I say that? Or why did I say that that way? But speaking out is better than not speaking out if you're ready to do that. Yeah, yeah. Good. Well, on that note, we have to wrap it up here. So I, where can people find you as we are wrapping up here? <laughs> I am on the internet at bodyliberationphotos.com and, or bodyliberationphotography.com. Either will take you to the same place. Uh, on Instagram, I am at bodyliberation with Lindley, L-I-N-D-L-E-Y. And on Twitter, I'm at Lindley Ashline, L-I-N-D-L-E-Y, A-S-H-L-I-N-E. And you can look me up by the same name on Pinterest. And what am I forgetting? Oh, I'm on YouTube as well. Um, you can just look me, up, look me up by my name. And in general, I'm just sort of around. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I will link to all these in the show notes, by the way. Come say hi to me. Oh, Facebook. Facebook. That's what I was missing. I spend so much time on Facebook and I here I'm missing it. But I'm at, I'm at Body Liberation with Lily Ashline on Facebook. Okay, perfect. Basically, Basically, there's only one of me. I have a unique first name, last name combination. So you Join the Google club. Me. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm the same. It's helpful. People can't spell it half the time, but <laughs> I'm out there. I'm the only one. Um, well, I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much. I really appreciate all the work that you do. And I enjoy following you and learning from everything that you talk about. So, you know, thank you. Thanks for everything. And thanks for being thanks here so today. Much, thank you. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. Rock on. That was such a cool discussion. I really was so fascinated by Lindley's story. It's just so interesting to hear how the way that we're raised and what we're exposed to can really shape the way that we see ourselves. And it just shows how much the media can influence the way that we see ourselves and how much power that they have over us and how we can use photos and imagery to really reclaim that power and change the narrative and break free from those expectations. So hopefully you enjoyed that as much as I did. You can find all the links and men and resources mentioned at summerinandin.com forward slash 168. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you again soon. Rock on. I'm Summer Inanin, and I want to thank you for listening today. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Summer Inanin. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this show. I would be so grateful. Until next time, rock on. Rock on.